see. So Shaheen and I just met, and we, we have an un, an unknown to me commonality, and that is what Shaheen. What, what, just elaborate a little bit on what you and I were talking about, because I think if nothing else, it built a solid rapport with which to continue the rest of this conversation. Yeah, man. Well, we're both martial artists and both students of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the striking arts, and I think that's always a connector because if you you meet another dude that's like doing that same kind of thing, you always have. There's a mutual amount of respect because you know that, you know, that person has been to battle more or less, right? Yeah. And Shaheen was talking, he's on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast. And he was talking about where, where he would train with some of the Gracies out that way. And I had the opportunity to train with the Gracie, uh, mainly Henzo on the East Coast and then Ricardo Almeida. And we were just talking, me, about um, uh, um, just... Completely. Your UFC career, yeah, and, about yeah. UFC career, and and Henzo, I can think of Henzo's name, and uh, just what a what solid people they are, and he is, um, and John Donaher, and it, it, I don't often talk about those things anymore, really. Uh, you know, I speak, I write books, I have a podcast where I interview all kinds of walks of life, so it is cool to, you know, reconnect with that world that I was once a part of that really I'm pretty disconnected from. Yeah, well, it's becomes a part of you. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that we can, you know, we can go into more kind of my story as it revolves around business and whatnot. But, you know, when we came here from Iran in the 1970s, and it was the worst time to be an Iranian kid, because I remember going to school here and just getting my ass kicked every day because people were super racist. And, you know, it was like towel head, camel jockey, all this stuff. And I was like, whoa, 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 I'm just moving here. And somewhere along the way, I decided to pick up a book. So I picked up this book and I made my folks get it for me called The Tao of Jeet Kune Do by Bruce Lee. And I was so excited because I watched all his movies. Here's this like skinny Chinese guy who's just taking no shit from anybody. Everybody knows you watch those movies. He was just fucking the badass that we all wanted to be. And he was fighting for what was right. And he stood up for himself. And I was like, I want to be like that fucking dude. So I started off, you know, taking martial arts and I, you know, I started off in karate and I was like, oh man, I'm going to do this. And I was like, wait a second, you know, they're punching like this and blocking like this. And I tried that in the playground, got the shit kicked out of me again. And I was like, all right, this is not working. Um, And I noticed in his book that, you know, I I learned later that Bruce Lee had died, I think in 73. So I was devastated by that because I was devoted to becoming his like biggest disciple didn't happen but the guy who put together his book um post his post-mortem was this guy dan Inasanto, and he had an academy here in marina del rey so i was like dude i'm gonna go train there and they were like well at the time dan didn't have a kids class now he's got the best kids class in the country and i said hey you know let me just train with you guys And I was like a kid, I was like, you know, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. And they let me come in there and train with them. And I trained, you know, Savat, Thai kickboxing with uh, Master Chai, who like brought Thai kickboxing to the US and all the different, you know, Filipino martial arts. And it was spectacular. But to your point, a lot of these like old school guys like Dan, like Dan and Asanto, they're just amazing people. Like they've lived their lives through the lens of martial arts and they approach the world with respect and humility, which is, you know, probably the two qualities that I think you and I both share, um, you know, and that we see most in others where we're like, wow, yeah, that's awesome. 
I, I agree 100%. So I, you know, as part of my podcast, I have a weekly kids episode. And, and the, the premise of it is a kid's resource, most of the time a kid's book. And it, it could be, you know, chapter books, picture books, etc. And every once in a while, I'll just put out references, tools for parents, guardians, teachers, educators to use to kind of teach life lessons to young people. And today, I, I'm, I'll be releasing an episode later today as we're recording this. And I highlighted uh, Highlights Magazine, Ranger Rick. But then also this movie that I just saw with my kids called Raya and the Last Dragon. Oh, yeah. And the, the, I wrote, I generally write some themes to the, the books or movies I talk about and respect and honor. You know, you, you mentioned respect and humility, but respect and honor were two of the themes that I wrote down. And I find myself to kind of tie it back to the martial arts and, and your initiation of Bruce Lee and, and the martial arts training, whether it was a necessity, like because you moved here and you, you dealt with that. But I just I'm captivated. I'm captivated by both the, the virtues, the principles of respect and honor. Um, but then I'm also as a human, maybe as a guy, just infatuated with that like kick ass mentality. Like it's a real like for me as a fighter, it 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 gives you a competency and a confidence to just feel pretty good in general. Just your state of being, your your, your stasis is is pretty calm. And and that the physical aspect of that with the, the the mental or the mindset aspect of continuous learning and growth, I think is indispensable. And those are two of the major major more so the learning than the physicality of it, but that I try to pass on to kids, you know, through those weekly shows, but also speaking and interacting with students. Um, when you, when you moved here uh, from Iran and you, you said you were 14. No, when I moved here from Iran, I was like four or five years old. Oh, four or five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the, the interactions, the bullying, the, the name calling prior to segueing into what you do for a living and, and the businesses that you've built over the years, take me back to that because I, I talk a lot about that with kids. Uh, I sure. have two little kids, but you know, speaking in schools, just talk a little bit about your memories, right? As a grown man, because I, I connected the things that happened to me. And I, I think the reason I do what I do is because of what happened to me in middle school, but yeah. just take me back to that time for you and, and how you got through it. What yeah, totally, totally. And I, you know, and we can talk about my upcoming book that's going to be out in August. I talk about this a lot in my book. But, you know, look, I, in Iran, it was a different story. You know, I was the country that I was from, I spoke the language, you know, I was king of the heat, no problem, right? We'd go out on the street, you know, if there was an issue, you handle it, right? Somebody pushes you, you push them back, you're good to go. And we came here. And, you know, it's funny, because I have a seven year old boy myself. And, it's a totally different world now, as I'm sure, as I'm sure, you know, uh, as far as that kind of stuff goes, because when I came in the 80s, I mean, I would just get the shit kicked out of me and I'd go tell I'd be like, I'd tell the teacher should be like, what'd you do? I'd be like, that guy just, you know, he just he just like, you know, clobbered me with a haymaker from the back. It's like, well, you think about what you do, what you did. Mm. And it was, you know, it was a much tougher time, I think, as a kid to grow up because I think they weren't really taking all that bullying and stuff seriously. But at a certain point, you begin to realize that it, it does build grit and fortitude and that you've got to just fucking stand up for yourself. I mean, you know, I, I think there's probably a lot of guys around right now from our, you know, our age group. I'm, I'm probably a little bit older than you but who are just crushed in life because they didn't stand up to that bully. Yeah. 
And I look, I tell my kid, right? My kid, my kid trains Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He trains um, over at the academy and they tell him too, like we don't instigate any kind of violence. But if somebody hits him or threatens him or tries to injure his body, fucking dude, do what you got to do. You know, you got, you have to defend yourself. And, you know, they, I, I don't think I'm of the mind where, you know, we should be raising, you know, especially boys, and this might be a controversial thought, but that are less than confident and capable of standing up for themselves and, and taking care of themselves. I think that crushes, um, you know, I, I think later on in life, that crushes their self-identity and their confidence. I agree 100%. And confident and capable, I think, are two really good words to use in that sense. And I'm the same way. And I'm always drawn back to the speak softly and carry a big stick idea. It's that. It's, it's, you don't, just like you mentioned, the, what you went through as a kid on the other side of it, 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 it builds grit and resilience and toughness and something you, you would never want that for anyone. But you having gone through it on the other side of it realizes the value in it. Um, it very much the same way. And then the, the confidence and competence that comes from f just physical capability. And I also feel that way with your mind, with your brain, with learning, with reading books, because you're able to enter a conversation with all, when you read books consistently, when you learn this, this interview with you, I mean, I'm going to pick your brain about specifics about your business, how I can apply it to my business. I think just that, that side of it, the mental training is equally compatible and beneficial as a physical training to create a strong, well-rounded person. I think they work hand in hand. Yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, once I got proficient at fighting and at martial arts, you know, as a kid, you know, I'm still a student, still learning, but you know, as a kid, once I got proficient, I got in a lot less fights. And I think it's one of those things where it, it definitely gives you, you know, I, I heard Jocko Wilnick, um, you know, the Navy SEAL, who's got a podcast and a great book. And he talks about how jujitsu is a superpower. And it really is not so much so because you have this like tool that you can use as a, as a superpower, but much more so because it gives you this inner fortitude, this knowledge, it, it almost like implants this mojo, like dudes that know how to fight. Like you just see them. You might not be a fighter. You might not know anything, but you just look over and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to fuck with that dude. Right. You don't even have to be like, you know, I mean, in our world, we look, you know, we see like dudes with a, you know, cauliflower ear or whatever. I can't see your ears, but you probably got them. Right. You look at the ears and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I'm not fucking with that guy. Like when I'm in the studio and I see a dude come in and his ears are fucked up. I don't care what belt he is. I'm just like, <laughs> not fucking with that guy. We're, we're going easy. But, it's funny know. too. I enjoy, I enjoy talking about this stuff because I never do. And it is an acquired taste and some people might be rolling their eyes right now, but it really is what I kind of thrive on as a human. I, I, I practiced it. I lived it. And now at this point, I kind of value and respect it. So I look at it a little differently, but it's funny too, you know, walking into the room, it's, it's easy for me to kind of sniff out legit and not legit. And it's, you can't fake it. You can't, you know, it'd be, it would be like being inauthentic on a stage or on a, a microphone it's just like you can see right through it as a former fighter like someone who's trained and capable yourself as well like you can tell legitimacy versus non-legitimacy absolutely yeah and you know similarly so to your point 
you know, look, I, I've, you know, my, my first business, we created over a billion dollars in revenue. And now I've got a multi-million dollar Amazon company where we teach and train people how to make money on Amazon. And we can, we can get into that later. But the fact is that being a black belt in business is kind of the same thing. Once you get proficient, you build that foundation and those skill sets. When I go into a meeting in general, people don't fuck with me usually. Mm -hmm. And it's for, a number of reasons, but it's that same kind of thing where there's, you pick up something that other people pick up just intuitively. They go, Hey, I, I, I can sense that this guy is not the guy, you know, you want to fuck with. So it's almost like a, like a business cauliflower ear that people might pick up on, you know, a hundred percent. And that comes through evolution. And I do want to get in, you know, now, I guess to, to your business building, there's a lot of a lot of um, alignment correlation to things we're talking about physically fighting to building a business. And I've, I've, you know, wrestled, fought and built a business and they're all it's terribly difficult. Right. And fighting and wrestling might, I think be easier only because in business, there's not an opponent. There's not a person I'll choke or punch or kick or take down or slam or try to defeat. It, it's kind of like this, this, uh opponent that's out there that has a thousand different heads and you're trying to contain it and it's just so difficult and it's so overwhelming so all of these things we're talking about from your youth from training martial arts had to lend itself to the the stress anxiety frustration all the other negative stuff tough stuff that comes with building a business so can you just elaborate on the similarities of those two things yeah. And I think, you know, after this weekend, I can tell you briefly kind of my story so you guys can get a little bit of background, but let me, let me, let me speak to that. Cause that's a really good point for us to pick up on. So here's the thing. My wife asked me a while ago, like, why do you go? Like I come back from the studio, like there's blood all over my gi. Like, you know, my arm is like, I'm icing every part. I'm putting that freeze stuff on. Like I've got, I've got every rehab thing here. Like known to man. I got cryo. I've got the sun. Like I'm doing it. She's like, why do you do this? And I thought, you know, there, there's a moment of purity that comes in combat. And I mean, actual physical combat with another person, with another practitioner where in that moment, the world falls away. And I, I am sure as a UFC pro you've, you've experienced this where, you know, the, the kids crying, the, the house, the mortgage payments, the car, whatever you have going on disappears and you are in that zone. You are in that flow. And in that moment, it's pure because you can't fucking bullshit. It's just you and that guy. It doesn't matter what belt you have around your waist. It doesn't matter what your credentials are. It doesn't matter how many knockouts you've had before. Nothing matters. All that matters in that moment is your performance then and there. You know, uh, uh, Tyson Fury, one of the great interviews, I have it up on my Instagram where he's talking to somebody and saying, you know the difference between me and Deontay Wilder? And he's like, that guy's a businessman. For me, he's like, all I care about is knocking motherfuckers out. I don't care about any of that other stuff. And I, I watched that interview and I, th I thought, this is a guy that's self-realized. That's why he's the champ because he understands that in that moment, that's where truth is found. And you can't bullshit. You can't get on the mat with another dude and, and pretend like you're better. You know that. That guy's going to fucking crush you, right? So there's, it's, it's pure. Now, let's take this one step further. 
in business. Similarly, you just have one metric, man. Are you making a profit or are you not? It's, it's, it's absolute purity. I traded highly leveraged commodities for years, gold, oil, all that stuff. Hundreds of millions of dollars of commodities were traded through me and my companies. And trading is the ultimate vision of this because there is nothing. You're producing nothing. You're bringing nothing into the world. All that matters at the end of the day is when you look at your balance sheet and you made a dollar more than you spent you know, that you made a profit. That's all that matters. And business is the same way. When you become a black belt in business, you realize like none of that other shit matters. If people talking shit, competition, competitors, uh, you know, marketplace, all the, like none of that stuff fucking matters. All that matters is that you are, you are this much ahead than where you were yesterday and you make more than you spend. That's it. Making a profit. And to add some real life of, of my business kind of journey to what you're just saying, I, I'm, it's been a long process. And I started fifth, uh, 2014, end of 14, basically 15, got my feet wet, like 15, 16 business wise. So I would say like three to five years into my business. And so I'm, I'm um, an evolution in current, you know, progress and, and evolving. But what you said there to, to put some, you know, uh, black and white to that for the listeners. So it's easy to make noise. It's easy to create fluff. It's easy to um, just 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 act like everything's going well. And, and then behind the scenes, we as the viewers, consumers, we don't know, like, what's what's the bottom line look like? So for me, you know, I, I can get lost in, in the, to go to what you said, I can get lost in the how many likes am I getting on my social media posts, et cetera, et cetera, or how many this, how many downloads, how many that. But if I'm not selling, if there's not a transaction, if there's not an execution of a sale of my product because it is a business, then what am I doing? And I'm realizing now during COVID and coming out of COVID, I've got to put as many touches on the, the prospect as possible if I want this to be a really good business not just sustainable but ongoing and growing like i've got to put the right touches with my philosophy the least amount of stress and energy on me how do i automate that how do i systemize it how do i put it in front of the right person because i'll make i might get 200 likes on a post but guess what no 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 one bought like it feels good but like nothing happened mm. and so the the very black and white that's the reason i love following nature is metal which I send my, my on, on Instagram, if you don't watch that, it's a nature uh, account that shows some really gruesome stuff. And it's not like I'm a sadist and I like seeing it. But to me, that's a reminder every day of truth, of the, 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 the truth, actuality, and, and the, the, the black and whiteness of am I moving forward or am I not moving forward? And I like to get in front of that stuff rather than dance around it and create fluff, but rather being honest with that bottom line. Yeah. To, to your point, what we were talking about earlier with the kids and bullying in school, dude, you got to make a choice. You can either become a predator or become prey. You got to make a choice. There is no middle ground. You look in nature, watch those videos. Is there somebody who's like, dude, I'm fucking Switzerland. I'm neutral. No, every single animal organism situation in the natural world revolves around this predator prey relationship and if you don't choose it will be chosen for you it's harsh to say people don't like to believe it but the fact is that 
you know, you, you, you gotta learn that you gotta pick. On my show this week, on, on the podcast this week, I'm covering Danny Trejo's books called Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption in Hollywood. And in the book specifically, he says, in prison, you're either predator or prey. And it, you know, we're, we're not in prison, we're not talking about prison, but we are talking about life. And that idea translates across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I met him a while back. He makes good tacos, man. He's got those, those, those amazing taco Trejo's restaurants. Tacos. Yeah. It's quite a book. I recommend it to everyone. It's a, it's an awesome book. So let's get into to the business side of things. You started your, your first business when you were young and you started a lot of businesses. You've handled, made uh, a, a lot of money and help product development, help every aspect of business, Amazon Mastery course. I'm someone who has two books on Amazon that wonders, how does anyone sell any books on Amazon? Because I am selling right. no books on Amazon. So it, it is, it's with Ernst that we dive into this stuff. But talk a little bit about your early, early business, your start, evolution, kind of, you know, like a, a, a version of the evolution of it. And then I want to get into some of the, the specifics, some of the lessons that you as a successful entrepreneur have learned and can pass on to me and anyone else that's interested in business. Yeah, totally. I could probably uh, kill uh, those two birds with one stone. So I started off, of course, coming in from Iran, like we were saying, getting the shit kicked out of me in school. And by the time I was 13, even though I could handle myself, I was like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta find an exit plan. And then I hit 15 and I was like, you know what? Fucking out, done. Dropped out of high school. I think it was like ninth grade out and um, started sleeping in abandoned buildings on the beach, wherever I could, till I figured out what my plan was. Now I was reading, I was reading all these great books, Augmentino, Napoleon Hill. You know, back in those days, I was really impressed with the fact that you can buy a book and learn from somebody who spent 30 years living a life. So I would read a lot, but I didn't have any money, I didn't have any friends. And I found a mentor and I started getting involved in the rave scene, the electronic music scene, the EDM scene at the time. So what happened was, was that basically I realized that these clubs started late so I could go there and there'd usually be like a behind the speakers, which was, you know, there'd be like a nice hum. I could sleep for like three or four hours and then wake up and, you know, go about my day. Plus I'd meet some people. The music was fun. It was a cool environment. I never did any drugs in those days. And I was like, you know what? This is kind of cool for me. Let me check this out. So I started hanging out at these raves and I started looking around me going, wow, these happen every week, more than several times a week. Who's making money? It's got to be the promoters. Nope. The promoters always would bail. Nobody would get paid. They'd be broke. It would be a whole thing. I thought, well, I got it. It's the musicians. Musicians make money, right? Musicians. You see them on TV. Musicians make money. Nope. Those guys were always broke. The DJs were always out with their hands outstretched, being like, when is the promoter going to pay me? I'm like, sorry, buddy, never. They, they never got paid. So I was like, well, it's got to be the real estate. Real estate, right? The people, nope, those buildings were mostly break-ins. People would, somebody would find a key to a warehouse or they'd you know, hop in through the back door and open the warehouse and the parties would be there. So I thought to myself, someone's making money. And I would see these guys hanging around the club. They'd give the DJs a little bit of money and, you know, they'd just make sure things would run just at minimal level, but they'd be smiling. They'd have a nice car, nice clothes. Guess who these guys were? I'm trying to think of who's, who's involved in, in any of this. And it's, it was a drug dealers. 
So I thought it's such a terrible, such like a terrible truth. So as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, when you really dive into businesses or systems or whatever, it's like music is a great example. You'll find out that musicians get screwed oftentimes or actors. You know, I, I, I'm actually watching, um, uh, Val Kilmer has a new documentary out on prime. And, uh, this was, and I'm not saying he got ripped off because it didn't allude to that, but you know, it was after top gun and, he just got in situations where he was not, did not have a lot of money. And I'm thinking like, how does this happen? He had his reasons, obviously, but back to what you're saying, it's like, come on, man. It's such a terrible reality that that, that was the truth. It was the truth. And these guys were making money. And at the time, the supply of ecstasy, which was the big drug, Molly, MDMA, whatever, whatever you call it, had gone down because people didn't know how to make it here in this country. It was coming from Europe and the supply chain dried out. And so I thought, man, you know, if there was a way where I could make a a natural legal version of this and why legal, because I, I realized that as being an incredibly neurotic human being that I would be really bad at crime. I, I saw all these people who did crime and most of them did a really shitty job. I knew I would be really bad at crime. So I thought, you know, right away, the crime would not be a good move for me. So I, I started looking for this hack. I thought, hey, maybe I can make a legal thing. And so eventually I figured it out. And I went up to the club and I found the same dude. And I said, hey, buddy, you want to sell this stuff? And he said, fuck off, kid. And I said, look, okay, I got you. But here's the thing. A, you're going to go to jail eventually. B, even if you don't go to jail, you don't have supply. And right now you've got customers that are eager and want to use product, but you got nothing to sell them. So what do you have to lose? So, all right, let me give it a shot. Hour later, dude came back and he told me like, this was the most incredible thing ever. People in the club were dancing. Everybody was pointing at me and he just looks at me and he goes, how do I get more? And that was it. It was on. It went from one guy to 10 guys to a hundred guys and to a thousand guys to one day I woke up and I walked into my office in Venice beach. Um, Hang on one sec. So I walked into my office in Venice Beach and I got the news that we had broken a billion dollars in revenue. I had 200 employees. I was, I had, I was employing all of Venice. It was like a crazy thing. And I got this news. Hey man, you know, uh, you just made a billion dollars in revenue. CNN wants to interview you. Sam Donaldson wanted me to have me on Nightline, which I did. Um, uh, 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 Montel Williams wanted me on a show. Everybody wanted me. And I remember having this moment of incredible anxiety and panic thinking, fuck, I don't know how much a billion dollars is. Like, I didn't know what that number meant. It was a thousand million, hundred million, 50, like I didn't know. And this was pre-internet, pre-Facebook, pre-cell phones, and I was just having them on. And then people calmed me down and they were like, bro, you're okay. No one's going to ask you that. You'll figure it out by the time. They just want this long hair kid that's selling these pills. And from there on out, it was a wild journey. We were the largest supplement company in the world at the time, creating these products that people were just fanatic about and had gone crazy over. And we were selling them everywhere. And to this date, not a single person ever got injured from them. 
we've created so many millionaires over the years from that product. And, you know, it was, a, it was a really good time. And I, I, I write about it. There were some, some, some insane times and, uh, you know, my book's coming out in August. It's called billion high became king of the thrill pill cult. And for any of your viewers or listeners, if they're interested, I've got the first chapter up on my podcast billion. So if you guys want to check it out, you get the first chapter for free on there. Yeah. What a cool story. And I have a few things to, to, to unpack from that. It's funny, this, this kind of is off the subject, but it, it, it's a relevant experience. I, you know, I, I come from very middle class, central Pennsylvania, you know, there, there, I guess there's some millionaires, but not many houses don't cost a million dollars. The majority, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot different than North Jersey, California, et cetera. And, um, I remember the first time I was talking to a millionaire friend of mine, a legitimate millionaire friend of mine. And, uh, I, I, it was just, it, it, he explained me to a world that I didn't even know existed before. And I remember hearing slash figuring out his monthly uh, income and paychecks. <laughs> and it was like, you say you didn't know what a, a billion was like, I didn't realize that to, when you're a millionaire, multimillionaire, and you actually break it down into like paychecks, yeah. or income, yeah, it's a lot yeah. of freaking money, like it's a lot of money. And I remember the first my mental like oh my gosh you hear millionaire but you don't understand fifty thousand dollars every two weeks or you know whatever it is so that's a a funny thing that is memorable uh, for both yourself figuring out what a billion is and for me realizing what a millionaire actually looks like yeah you know in, in, in my case i was so busy you know, on this wild ride that I wasn't even keeping track of like the money that I was making. And it's, it's funny that you say that, you know, cause I would like, people would invite me to lunches and dinners or whatever. And I'd like hang out with a dude who'd gone to school for eight years and became a lawyer. And he's like driving a Porsche. And I'd be like, dude, like how much money are you making? And he'd be like, you know, I'm making like in those days, like 150,000, which would be like 300,000. I'd be like, I, I made that like yesterday, like you, you went to school and like, yeah. you know, there, there was no calculation. I remember, you know, I write in the book, the story of, you know, I had this dog and my dog was like my best friend. Cause I couldn't trust anybody. I had so yeah. much money that like everybody wanted something. So, you know, and I was young and everybody was taking advantage. So the dog was kind of like my comfort animal. And I had the dog up in my office and there was like papers everywhere, you know, and I was like going through and there's checks for thousands of dollars and I would just grab them and throw them in a pile or whatever. And the dog knocked down this pile of, of like papers with checks and stuff. And I reached down and there was a check for a million bucks. And I remember looking at it and just putting it back on the pile and then going, what the fuck did I do? That's just, yeah. I was just a million. That's, that's how little I actually cared, like that yeah. it mattered. And, you know, it's a really good lesson about life, about, you know, not leaning into things, which, you know, one of my teachers used to always teach us that, you know, anytime you go after something with desperation, without the thought of, I want to bring something excellent into the world, but rather I want to just chase money or I want to get that hot girl, or I want to, you know, do that thing. Anytime you lose track of bringing value and bringing excellence into the world, the thing that you want most is pushed furthest away from you. And when I learned that, you know, it became easy. Making money yeah, became yeah. easy. And that whole lesson of not leaning into things. If it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, that's okay too. I'm busy doing this thing that brings me purpose in life. 
And that's really how you win. That's really the most important thing. And I think what you said there, to add a little bit to it, I think what you said there is it can be like an actual tactical and strategical thing that you do. Like, what am I trying to do? Create value or make money? Like that can actually dictate your, your actions that you take. But I also think that that's a psychological decision that you make in your mind, almost like one of those karma or energy things that, you know, you, you could be doing the same thing, but if your mindset, your intention, your focus is money versus value, I think that can help dictate, you know, getting a little bit out there, but I do think that can, that does play a role in dictating your success one way or another. Yeah. Um, let's backtrack a little bit because you mentioned the, the, the rave scene, the drug dealer coming up with a, a, a legal version of ecstasy, my words. Um, but there's a lot that goes on between having that idea who's making money, drug dealers, how can I create that to walking up to that guy with a finished product? So did you know, I just uh, talked to, I don't know when it would be published, but I, I talked to um, a guy who has a uh, Nick Bear, Bear Performance Nutrition, and, and he was talking about developing the product line as well and sending away, measuring, et cetera. Did you have a background on that? Like the, the I don't even know what the word is, substances, chemicals, whatever is that that pill oh. is comprised of? No, I just made shit up as I went along. And, you know, one of my mentors at that time went a long way to teach me. And, you know, now I teach my students, you know, on Amazon and how to make money uh, doing that using the same elements of influence. You know, my mentor taught me, he said, hey, you know, if you can influence somebody to do what you want, you don't really need money. Money is the easiest way to influence somebody, but there's so many other ways. Like you and I were talking about, you can do it by building rapport. You can do it by bringing value. And there's lots of different ways you can bring value. So I pulled out the yellow pages back in those days. We used to have these books that were printed with all the phone numbers of everybody on the planet on there. And I reached into the yellow pages and I started calling people. I called herbalists. I called manufacturers. And sure, most people told, told me to go fuck off or they wanted some crazy amount of money. But there were some people who were willing to entertain, you know, if I could manage to take the bus out there, they were willing to entertain a meeting with me. And I found enough people to make my dream a reality but also because I didn't know I could fail. It was, it was not in the realm of possibilities. And back to you know, our examples of fighting, like when I look at Stylebender, for example, he's awesome. You ever watch his fights? Oh, yeah. He's amazing. And there's this clip of him where he's like, before he goes into the ring every single time, he tells himself that he is ready to die. He's ready to die. He's like, let's fucking go. There's nothing left. Like he's either going to win or he's going to die. And you, you believe that when you see that guy. And I think, I, I think to myself, it, it was the same for me in business. I had nothing to lose. I came from absolutely nothing, zero, less than nothing. I was in debt. And when I went into business, it wasn't a question for me that I was going to succeed. It was just how fast and sure. I got knocked down a lot along the way, a lot. There were a lot of things that happened. But at the end of the day, I didn't let those things keep me down. I just kept getting back up. And what, what's the name of the pill? So the, the pill was called herbal ecstasy. And it was an alternative to ecstasy back in those days. What a crazy 
crazy thought. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy Let's check story. it out for, for you guys who are on the radio. That was me when I was in my teens. So I've been trying to, I've been trying to measure that picture versus what I'm seeing now. On yeah. Right. The screen and it's very different. It's I had a little different. more hair then. I had a little more hair then. And so then the did herbal ecstasy like open up? You had been in business prior to that. So, but did that open up doors and pathways and opportunities that you hadn't had before? Yeah. It's like anything in life. You know, once, once you're successful, success finds success. Successful people want to be around you. You know, I had all kinds of, you know, I was dating supermodels and I was being flown out on private planes and yachts and hanging out with celebrities. And everybody wanted to have me at the party because they wanted that long haired you know, teen kid that's making the pill that everybody's raving about. And, you know, I was doing TV shows and flying out, meeting all kinds of millionaires and billionaires. And, you know, once you're in that circle, that's, that's who they feel comfortable with. Successful people feel comfortable around other successful people, famous people. If you look around at famous people, who are their friends? Other famous people, because they feel comfortable around them. Yeah. People they can relate to. And so I want to get into Amazon because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in Amazon because my partner and I dread, you know, we, we, I have two books up on Amazon. He actually just in 2020 self-published 20 books, a wow. variety of different styles of books, but we're, I hate to say trying to figure out Amazon because that's such a novice. That's like someone coming in day one and saying, I want to fight UFC. How do I do it? You know, like I'm well aware of the fact that quote, figuring out Amazon is a job. Right. That's, that's like a huge part of what you do is teach people that. Um, but prior to jumping into that, what, what do you think of that guy? Right. Shaheen from back then. What do you what, what do you think of of that guy, who you were, your experiences, the lessons learned? Not necessarily positive or negative, but, you know, when I look back at myself early in fighting and then when I look back, you know, you mentioned uh, Adesanya Stalbender looking at himself and saying he's willing to die. I never thought that, but it, I never didn't think that. But when I have kids, no, I, I'm not willing to die. Absolutely not. Like I've kids, right. they're more important to me than this. So I just observe, right? When you can observe you back then from you, who you are now, what comes to your mind? What do you think? I think about how dangerous a lot of the thoughts and strategies I had were. And it's that risk, that ability to take that risk that allowed me to have this astronomical success that I had in those days. Had I had kids and a mortgage and all these things to worry about, I probably wouldn't have taken those risks. And risk to a great degree is proportionate with the amount of reward you get on the other end. Of course, a guy walking into working at McDonald's who's just going in and getting a paycheck day in, day out has very little risk. This is the risk the company might go down. He won't get paid, but that's you know infinitesimal small. The guy who owns the business runs ultimate risk, so he sees ultimate upside. As a guy with a chip on his shoulder, back in those days, I don't feel much that way now. I think I could have done better seeking counsel having mentors around me in all areas, not just personal development and physical development and what you would call spiritual development, but also in business, having people who've done what I want to do. 
I probably would have saved hundreds of millions of dollars if I had known what I know now. And, you know, after the ecstasy thing, the herbal ecstasy thing, I started another successful company. That company went public. It was the first vaporizer company. We built all the technology for digital vaporization, portable digital vaporization. And that became a hugely successful company. We built all the forerunners of what you see now as vapes and in mm -hmm. shops. And I'm, I'm by, and by the way, I'm not a proponent of smoking or vaping in any way whatsoever, but we built the technology as a, as a harm reduction measure. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I did. And so after that, I decided, Hey, you know what? Like I'm getting in my thirties, we're going to have a kid and my mental functioning isn't as sharp as it was when I was in my twenties. I'm sure you feel the same way. So I thought, Hey man, I'm going to go and develop another pill. So I developed this, this brain pill, the stuff called Accelerol. It was spectacular. It did all that stuff that you thought. And it was funny. The idea came one day when Bradley Cooper, who was in the film limitless was at my house and we were hanging out a long time ago. And then he went off to make that movie and I didn't think much of it. And then I, I uh, created this brain supplement and then somebody told me, you know, Bradley was at your house and you guys were talking about that. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. That happened. That's, that's so funny. Yeah, that is funny. It was a great movie by the way, but I think that, 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 that's a, that's a longer story. So I made this pill and I was like, all right, it was expensive because we use really good ingredients. And by the way, it's available now on Amazon and, and we use really good ingredients for the stuff. And I thought, well, it's going to cost a hundred dollars a month. Who's going to buy that? Where am I going to sell it? I started thinking distribution first, which is one of the big lessons that, you know, we teach, especially to our Amazon mastery students is don't create a product and go out there and try to find a place to sell it. Find what the market wants, what the market needs, what the market can't do without and feed it what it needs. It's a much easier path. So I, ha I have a, sorry to interject, but this is a big question I have and I battle yeah. with this. So, you know, that, that's a, a sound principle, right? And you, you'll hear yeah. it as a solid kind of time standing principle. How do you, because artists, Right, original singers, uh, creators. They, 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 a lot of times they, they are them. Right, they are themselves. Lady Gaga. There was no market for Gaga before Gaga was Gaga. Like, is that just like an anomaly, or how do you explain that? How do you explain? So, so what you just said is is don't create it first, and then look for the we either say distribution or customer base rather look for that and then create what they need or what they want. Gotcha. With music. I'll, I'll say music. Cause I know that example. Sure. They, they're not thinking that they're thinking, I guess they could, some are some are boy bands are put together to feed, but like someone like an original singer, like uh, lady Gaga or Bob Dylan or Jimi Hendrix, like to my knowledge, there wasn't a study saying the world could use this type of music right now. Rather, they created and the world was drawn to it. Right. So the answer to that is, I'm going to give you two answers. Answer number one is that I'm not saying that it's not possible to innovate. I'm just saying it's the loneliest, longest, and hardest path to becoming successful. Yeah. Secondly, if you look at it, their music was innovative, but their distribution was not. 
the distribution was there. We were coming out, all those artists that you mentioned, like Hendrix, Joplin, Dylan, they came out of the 1950s, where in the 1950s, you had this very restrictive white picket fence, right? Two and a half kids, you know, all American family to the 1960s. And Americans hit the 1960s thinking, whoa, right? It was free sex. It was free, free love. You had the psychedelics revolution, you had Timothy Leary, you had all that stuff happening. And the market was ripe for music that would be very impactful. I'm I'm very passionate about that particular genre of music, even though it has nothing to do with my business. So I I know a little bit about that. So if you look at those folks, you could make the argument that they didn't invent a new genre of music. I mean, Dylan definitely didn't invent folk. Hendrix didn't invent, you know, although one of arguably one of the most innovative artists of his time. He didn't invent, you know, guitar riffs or experimental guitar, but the market needed that. Woodstock yeah. was was growing, the beatnik movement, all that stuff was there. They just were feeding the market what it needed yeah. is the argument that I would make. But you can innovate. Look, with the vaporizer, I was making those things for in, you know, in the early days um, when we invented the vaporizer, it was the size of a ketchup bottle. And eventually it got down to the size of a cigarette. But when it was the size of a ketchup bottle, I was making them for 20 to $40 and we were selling them for $400 all day long. It took me close to four years and millions of dollars to build that technology, to innovate, just to watch hundreds of other people come in after I built the market and make many millions more than I ever made on that technology. Similarly, with herbal ecstasy, it wasn't really so much the innovation of the product. The product was great, but it was the distribution. The fact that I found these drug dealers that were out of drugs and I fed them something that they could sell. And a lot of those guys became millionaires legally from selling my products. They, they created legitimate distributorships and were, were selling to shops all over the world. I mean, at a certain point, we were in warehouse records and tower records and they were selling us in bookstores and, and you know, we were, we were everywhere because of our distribution. So what I teach people on Amazon is don't go out there and create and invent and innovate. Amazon is not the place for that. What you want to do is to find what the market needs and feed it. It's the shortest path. It's like, instead of going all the way around to get to where you want, you just go direct to it. That's the difference. So back in 2009, Bezos opens up the platform. We get a notice from somebody we know. And this was, these were the days where you could email Jeff Bezos and he'd get right back to you, which is hilarious. I exchanged several emails with him. Nice guy. And I was like, oh, they're opening up this platform, you know, and Bezos wants to invite you guys to sell whatever you want on this platform. So a third-party seller, most people don't understand this. When you buy something from Amazon, you are not buying from Amazon necessarily. If it says for sale and shipped by Amazon, you're buying it from Amazon as a store. If it says anything else, you could be buying from one of 5 million different sellers. Anybody like yourself, like me, who's put the product up on there and is selling it and is just using their platform. And Amazon takes a commission and they pick, pack and ship the product and they, and they, and they sell it for you, which was the, one of the biggest innovations that Bezos made for sellers. Allegedly, Bezos went out there and poached one of the best fulfillment guys from Walmart, allegedly. 
uh, Bezos, who people think, oh, he was this humble dude. You know, he just sat in this like tiny office. He was using uh, cinder blocks and a used door. That was his desk. No, he was a motherfucker. Bezos worked for D.H. Hutton, one of the biggest uh, venture capital investment firms in the country. And he was highly sought after and he had access to cheap capital, cheap money from Wall Street. And he took those dollars, said, guys, you're going to realize a loss. I don't know how long, five years, 10 years, 20 years, but I'm going to create the most valuable company on earth. And he did that. He did that because similarly, but what we're talking about, he had nothing to lose. He did not give a fuck. And he went out there and he did that. So right about the time when this is happening, I'm in the right place at the right time, synchronicity. And we launched this Accelerol product. I go to sleep. I don't think anything about it. I just put it up on there. Wake up the next morning, two thousands of orders. And I thought to myself, dude, this is it. This is distribution. This is the thing that's happening. And I decided I stopped everything that I was doing. And I said, you know what? I'm going to become a master of Amazon. I'm going to learn how to do this. And I'm going to teach other people how to do what I do. And that's... So- uh, I, 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 again, I'm, I'm, I said at the beginning of this, there's like specifics of what you're talking about that I'm, 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 I don't know if the audience is going to appreciate this, but it's, it's what I strive to know as a business owner. So a, a, a couple questions. When you say distribution, are you referring to the market or are you referring to the warehouse, the trucks, the pick, pack and ship side or both of them? I call that fulfillment. So that is not what I consider distribution. When we talk about distribution, I'm talking about distribution channels. So have you ever gone to the theater and seen a movie that was so bad you wanted to fucking go up there and punch somebody and be like, I want my two hours back? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had that experience? Mm -hmm. Right. And have you ever gone to the movie theater and seen like an amazing movie? And thought to yourself, wow, man, I just paid 20 bucks and I got to see this like $100 million blockbuster. Okay. Those two things have one thing in common, distribution. Imagine how many amazing movies that are out there that have great acting and script and all that stuff, but they don't have the distribution. A way of getting to the masses. That's right. Art. There's so many amazing artists out there, but if they don't have the distribution, they will never be seen. So, so where do you put the, the market, right? The custom, the, the desire, the want for your thing, does that come after the distribution or before the distribution and you're kind of prioritizing? So what you do, what I teach people to do is we use all kinds of tools. I'll give you a very real life example. So I teach people how to start Amazon businesses, normal people. I've got engineers, I've got attorneys, I've got people who start businesses for their wives. They're like, Hey man, my wife's been home all during COVID. She's going nutty, like just taking care of the kids. She needs to be doing something. Let me, can, can I start a business for her? And I say, yeah, let's start an Amazon business. And then, you know, they start, you know, making five, 10 grand a month, extra money. And then they get it up to 50, 100, 150 grand, very normal numbers on Amazon. And this is how we do it. We use very specific tools where we look on the Amazon platform and we start spying on sales. So we start spying on what, like for you, I would just go into the back end and I'd be like, Hey dude, let's check out your Amazon cart. What are the things you bought? What are the things your wife's bought? What have you bought for the kids? Oh, this is interesting. You bought a baby so-and-so. 
Well, let's look at that. Let's spy on the sales. How many sales does it have? How high is the competition? And we use these very specific algorithms that I've built since 2010 to go in there and to find vulnerabilities in the marketplace. I know you wanted to dig into the, mm -hmm. the minutia of this, so we can, we can really get into this. And what we do is we find niches, and it's all about getting into those niches that have vulnerabilities. So maybe somebody has, in the example of a baby carrier, a baby carrier, but uh, maybe you can't see that it's got a zippered pocket and moms like to have their wallet and everything in one place and maybe a thing for their phone or whatever, whatever it may be, but they're not showing it. So all we have to do is we don't have to innovate. We don't have to build a baby carrier. We can find that same carrier. And by the way, we, we've got tons of resources and we teach you how to get it from uh, China or wherever it is that you want to get it made and shipped here. But we find that exact same product and now all we have to do is show that it's got that zipper. So we tell a better story. Again, we're not innovating on the product. And the fact that we tell that better story, it might just entail us doing a little bit more research than the average company. There's so much shit on Amazon where people just don't give a fuck and they just list it on there and they're just, okay, whatever. But like you and me, we need to know like, dude, my baby's going to be in that thing. Is that cotton organic? Does it have lead? Is it BPA free? Like there's all these things we want to know. So maybe you just do a little bit more research and you find out, hey, this company actually has a certification and their cotton's actually organic. Well, the other guy's not telling that story. Now I have that knowledge. We always talk about knowledge, courage, action, the three pillars to success on Amazon, but the three pillars to success anywhere. And by the way, I have a one hour course, if it's cool with you, any of your uh, folks that are listening to this, I want to share that with them. It's normally 200 bucks. I'll share that absolutely for free for sure. to anybody that's listening to your podcast. So we can include the links below and you know, you don't need any money to start doing this stuff, to start an Amazon business. You don't need to buy anybody's course. I'll give you this absolutely for free. And you know, hopefully it'll empower you for guys sure. to be able to start. I know it will me. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm, 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 I'm happy to do that. So what, what, what you do is you, find these niches. And then we, we find that product and we tell a better story. Again, we haven't innovated. Now we might, we might be like, Hey, you know what? The zipper's shitty on this. All the reviews are saying the zipper's shitty. So we're going to call the manufacturer and you call the manufacturer manufacturers like, yeah, it's 12 cents more for a better zipper. And you're like, no brainer. Let's do that. Why don't you do that? Well, they didn't ask us. Okay, great. Let's do that. And and then we'll show in pictures, we'll show in videos, we'll get it out to all these mommy influencers and have them using it. And we'll create a great brand that people can associate with. We'll offer a lifetime guarantee on it, right? How many, how many people are going to return a baby carrier? It's going to be less than 1%. But you know what? The fact that we're willing to stand behind it and offer a lifetime guarantee is going to make a difference to people who are buying it. And we're going to build that credibility. Maybe we will, and these are all elements of influence. We will influence them through authority. So we will find whoever the mommy doctor is or the mommy influencer and have her be part of our marketing efforts, bring them on board. And this is all part of the building of this business on Amazon that you can build and set and forget. And we hire people. I've got VAs from all over the world, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, South and Central America. We just hired a bunch of people in Nicaragua, you know, because of COVID, they closed down all these call centers. And these people are near MBAs, college educated, 
family people, totally trustworthy, hardworking, and five to $10 an hour, you can get these people to work for you and they'll be the best employees you ever had and super smart, super hardworking, just good people all over the world. And you have them running your business. And while you're sleeping, you're creating predictable recurring revenue month after month. And it's not, look, it's not the only thing that you need to do. I, I talk to people often about finances and I say, look, it's foundational. Just like in martial arts, you know, if you went to UFC and you just knew punching, you wouldn't do very well. So in business too, you got to build that foundation. So you need to have one pillar, which is whatever's bringing in the money, the paying for the diapers, paying the mortgage, whatever that is, until you're secure, that pillar has to be there. It's a table with four legs. The second one is you should be thinking at the very least about something in cash flow positive real estate. We teach this foundational thinking. Right now, the market is crazy. So I wouldn't be buying real estate right now, but I would be looking because it's going to change. The third pillar, having some money that's compounding with interest in the markets, buying whatever that stuff is. And the fourth pillar is an e-commerce business. And the best place to do e-commerce, I believe it is Amazon, but we teach Amazon, eBay, Etsy, Walmart. The story is the same. You're doing the same thing. You're finding the distribution, then you're spying on what the distribution needs, and then you're just telling a better story. And it's the easiest way to do it. It's the least amount of possible effort. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. And that's, that's what we teach at Amazon Mastery. That's, that's been the crux of my work for the last five years. I think it's, it's just very solid what, what you said and what you're saying. And, and from my vantage point, you know, I, I, especially to go way back, like what you said about, you know, it, it's not the only way to do business, look for distribution, but it's the path of least resistance. And that's something that is extremely valuable as someone who often chooses the path of most resistance that that's a valuable nugget. And then with, with what you're saying with your Amazon mastery, it's funny, like I would surmise that you're using the same principles you're talking about now to have come to the spot of, Hey, an Amazon mastery course would be valuable to people. So like you're, you're teaching the principles within the principles. You're not just doing that because you want to do it. You're doing it because there's a market of people like me who have two books up on Amazon who don't sell thinking these are great books. Why is nobody buying them? Yeah. And so since, we could talk just, about that. Yeah. 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 Go for it. Let's. So the first thing you have to realize is Amazon started off as a bookseller. It's a ruse. They were never a bookseller. What Amazon was, was an experiment in market domination and distribution. And that was just the easiest way Bezos could get into it. Books were easy. Everybody reads or read at that time. And it was an easy way to get into a market where he could break into a niche and dominate. Why am I telling you this? Okay. It's very difficult to make money selling books from the books that you sell anywhere. And Amazon is no different. Now there's people who've got hacks and they do things where they sell a book here and there, or they get, you know, there's a club where they get somebody to buy 10,000 of their books or whatever. The publishing industry, and a lot of people aren't going to want to hear this, um, and I'm sure you've probably intuited this over the years, is that it's all pay to play, bud. It's all one huge, with the, okay, I'll tell you this, with the exception of a few players. So you've got the Malcolm Gladwells and the, you know, the really big names out there, but how many of those are there? Maybe a couple dozen 
outside of those guys, you got to find a way to make money from your books on the back end. And I'd love to take a look at your books. So send me the links and I, mm -hmm. I'd love to take a look at them and I can give you comments. But if you think you're going to write a book and put it on Amazon, make any kind of sizable money, I would tell you, but come, come take my course. Let me teach you how to make real money on Amazon. Yeah. It'll it's, it's, I've published eight books. The only way you're going to make money on books is if you have a backend funnel built into it. Now we've done book acceleration for multimillionaires. And of course, you know, I mean, my services are expensive. I bill out at 1250 bucks an hour. I charge a 55 K retainer. So if you're going to freaking hire me to do your Amazon for you, and by the way, this is not the price for my Amazon mastery course that will give you the one hour course for free. And the actual course we can talk about once you've taken a look at uh, the one hour course. But as far as my services goes, when companies bring us products or uh, somebody will bring me a book. So I had a CEO who brought me a book and he's like, look, I want this to be a bestseller. And I said, okay, you realize you're, it's going to cost you at least $55,000 and you're never going to make that back selling those books at the, at the rate. And he said, I know, I know. But he said, you know, if I get one speaking engagement, it's $300,000. Yeah. And I said, my man, let's do it. And yeah. he did. And we published a book for him and made it an Amazon bestseller. And, and, and we had a way to do that. So for you, let's say, for example, I know you're not, you know, you're off the mats at the moment. I hope you get back, by the way. Um, and I, I'd be honored to, to uh, learn from you and take one of your classes and train with you if you ever come down to LA or if you ever start doing uh, events again. But um, I think for you, the way you would make money from your book is to publish the book and use the authority from the book to sell something where you have a higher back end. Yeah. You will make more money doing that hands down 100% of the time. New York Times bestseller, Amazon bestseller, moving hundreds of thousands of books. There's a couple handful of people who do it legitimately. The rest of it is pay for play. These authors are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, in some cases, millions of dollars of their own money to get their books out there and to make them bestsellers. And the publishing game is a losing game. A, nobody's reading books anymore. I know it sounds crazy, but they're not. Everybody wants that 20 second soundbite on YouTube, TikTok, whatever those things are, Insta, nobody's reading books. This next generation are not reading books. The book sales have never been worse than they are now. We like to think that people are reading books. So why would you write a book? Either you have a story that you really want told and you don't give a fuck like me. I've got enough money now. I, I lead a fairly good life. I say extremely good life. I need to be more grateful, but I've got a beautiful family. We travel the world. I've got hundreds of people working for me on Amazon. We make tons of money. I don't have to worry about that. So why did I write my book? Because I felt like my story needed to be told. Yeah. And in that case, we're, we're actually, we got a, a deal. They're going to be shopping it around to studios now. So there will be a film that will be made nice. shortly and we'll put out a release on that. So that's exciting for me, but I have no illusions that it's going to make more in a, in five years than one day of what I make on Amazon. One yeah. day of what I make introducing a new tea product, a new supplement, a new, you know, we've got a new brain supplement now that we're coming out with, you know, I'll make, you know, two to 3 million bucks from that supplement, you know, in the next six months, it's, there's no way you're going to make that from selling a book, yeah. but now you come out with a business book and I don't know what, what's the title of your last book. Uh, becoming the world's toughest lifelong learner. And I love it, that. It, it's essentially a business book for someone looking to get started. 
dude, that's awesome. I totally want to read that. Have you have you read this? I have. Yeah, the art. Yep. Yeah, the okay. art of learning is what I, it's right. About. I'm showing him the art of learning. Josh Waitskin, who's also a, a, a martial artist, a jujitsu black belt, and the guy who uh, searching for Bobby Fisher was based on his book was pretty good. So I'm, I'm super psyched to read your yeah. book. Did you do an audiobook on yours as well? I did actually, if you go to my website, this is for anyone okay. listening, if you go to my website, I did the audio, I knew nothing about like officially putting it on audible. So I just used how I do my podcast, did it and then realized like, Oh crap, there's specs I got to worry about for audible. So I just used it as a email opt-in to my website. So if you go to my website and you opt in, you, you'll, you'll get the, audiobook for free and i oh, did amazing. it with um i love it it's it, it's funny i love it but it doesn't matter if nobody listens to it but in between each chapters there's like behind the scenes stuff so it's pretty cool I, I think you would enjoy it so let's do this actually so we have a podcast as well called hack and grow rich and for all you guys listening please make sure to sign up and subscribe why don't we have you on spaniard on our show Hack and Grow Rich, and I'd love to give all our listeners and viewers a link to your book as well. I think that's super awesome. I've got a guy for you, by the way. So if you want to reach out to me, I've got a guy who can convert it to Audible format. I think you should okay. sell it on Audible. Totally. Perfect. I got a guy who could do it very inexpensively. Another yeah. one of our outsourced uh, geniuses. I'd be very much interested in that. Yeah, I'll make I'll make that introduction for you. But you know, the move is let's let's use that book to build the world's lifelong learner toughest lifelong learner course and yeah. then you teach people how to become as successful as you maybe what we do is we go out there and target uh fighters because fighters need financial intelligence they need to know how to run the business like you know most of the guys that i know that are incredible at martial arts are terrible yeah. at business so maybe that's the angle that you come at. Now that book is going to make you more money than you've ever made. Not because you're selling the book and getting a buck, you know, they're like someone throwing you a scrap off the table like Amazon does with the books, but because it builds you as the authority in doing that very niche thing. Yep. And I that's like the type of thinking that we I, teach. It is. And, and I, I, as you were saying that, you know, there, you, you're spitballing ideas, but even that spitballed idea, I'm thinking, hey, yeah, that is pretty good. Like that, that's valuable information. And it, it's so good for me. And this is part of my, my, the idea of world stuff is lifelong learner to be able to have this podcast where I get to talk to people like you, for you to shed light on where I'm at and the things that I can do and perhaps will do to grow my business. So it's just like a kind of this cyclical process, but I love it, man. I think it's, um, it's really important because, you know, I talk about it pretty openly on, on, my podcast and what I do, but it's really hard to grow a business, like being good at something and then being good at the business of something. I forget which book I read that in, but it is a very real thing. And, you know, I, I was just telling dread my, my partner and all of this. And you know, that, that, that it's very hard to grow the podcast. It's very hard to sell books. I, I, I know what excellence is. I know what a good book is. I read hundreds of them. I, you know, I know my products are that, but what you're saying, like the distribution, getting it to the people. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crutch. It's a hindrance. It's a, it's an obstacle that needs to be overcome. So it's, you know, what you're doing is very helpful. Yeah. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. Well, we're coming up on, I think over an hour at this point, but, um, you know, share whatever information you want now in terms of the course, in terms of Amazon mastery, your book, and then whatever you don't mention, you can send me and I'll follow up with the, the, uh, outro there. 
yeah, thanks, man. I'll uh, I'll definitely share all my information with you, and I think uh, my publicist has sent that to you as well and I'll share it with you as well. So guys, if you want to reach me, I'm happy to have a conversation or a call with anybody who thinks that they would like to have another source of recurring revenue. If that's something you think might be right for you, I'll have a call with you free of charge. All you got to do is say you heard you heard me on the Spaniard. Um, you could reach me on my website, shaheenshayan.com. And I'm going to spell it out for you guys that are just listening. That's going to be S-H-A-A-H-I-N-C-H-E-Y-E-N-E.com. And please make sure that you join our Hack and Grow Rich podcast. So just go wherever you find podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere where podcasts are found. Make sure to subscribe to Hack and Grow Rich. If you're interested in the book Billion, it'll be out probably by the time you're listening to this in August. You can get that on Amazon, Billion, How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult. The audiobook will be out too. And our Amazon course is fbasellercourse.com or just go to shaheenshan.com and click on Amazon course. And I will share that with you here on the uh, on the, sh the show notes here Perfect. and we will go from there, dude, super honored to be on and, um, really impressed with all that you've done. It sounds like you're doing amazing work to bring excellence into the world. And I'm honored to be a part of your show. I appreciate it, man. This was a good connection and, and extremely valuable. And I, I definitely will for sure take the, 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 our course and, and absolutely with dread and I look into Amazon mastery. So Appreciate your time here, man, and, and best of luck with everything moving forward. Amazing.